Have you ever had an interesting conversation veer off track into even more interesting territory, only to have it come to an abrupt end because the other person didn't want to, quote, go down a rabbit trail? The thing is, if you follow enough rabbit trails, you're bound to catch some rabbits. And not only that, the journey itself could present a number of interesting opportunities to learn along the way. Please join Tim Piazza, Caleb Sasser, and Dirk Russell, educators at Westside Christian Academy, as they explore the rabbit trails of classical Christian education with the goal of catching rabbits. This week we are discussing in the podcast on the podcast the Prometheus myth, um, and we thought since it is a short text, there might be value in just spending five minutes and reading it to you so you can hear it before we begin. So the text that we are using is actually what we use here in our third grade class. Um, it's called Delaire's Book of Greek Myths, copyright 1962. Um, and I'm going to be reading from that. So here we go. This is, uh, as Delaire repeats it, the myth of Prometheus. Man's creator and his best friend was the titan Prometheus. Zeus had given Prometheus and his brother, Epimetheus, the task of repopulating the earth after all living creatures had perished in the early battles of the gods. He gave the two brothers great measures of gifts to bestow upon their creations, and they went down to earth and began to make men and beasts out of a river of clay. Wise Prometheus modeled men with great care in the shape of the gods. Epimetheus rapidly made all kinds of animals, and without any foresight, he lavished the good gifts upon them. When Prometheus had finished shaping man, he found that there were few of the good gifts left. Animals could run faster, see, smell, and hear better, and had much more endurance. Besides, they were kept snug in their warm coats of fur, while men shivered in the cold nights. Prometheus was sorry for mankind, and he went to Zeus and asked him if he might have some of the sacred fire for his poor creations. But Zeus said no. Fire belonged to the gods alone. Prometheus could not bear to see his people suffer, and he decided to steal fire, though he knew that Zeus would punish him severely. He went up to Olympus and took a glowing ember from the sacred hearth and hid it in a hollow stalk of fennel. He carried it down to earth, gave it to mankind, and told them never to let the light from Olympus die out. No longer did men shiver in the cold of the night, and the beasts feared the light of the fire and did not dare attack them. A strange thing happened. As men lifted their eyes from the ground and watched the smoke from their fires spiraling upward, their thoughts rose with it up to the heavens. They began to wonder and think and were no longer earth-bound clods. They built, built temples to honor the gods, and, wanting to share what they had with them, they burned the best pieces of meat on their altars. Zeus was furious when he saw the fires flickering on the earth, but he was appeased when the savory scent of roast meat reached his nostrils. All the gods loved the smell of the burnt offerings. It spiced their daily food of ambrosia and nectar, but Prometheus knew how hard men worked to make their living and thought it a pity that they burned up the best parts of their food. He told them to butcher an ox and divide the meat in two, in two, in two equal heaps. In one were the chops and roasts hidden under sinews and bones. 
In the other were scraps and entrails, covered with snow-white fat. Prometheus then invited Zeus to come down to earth and choose for himself which part he wanted for his burnt offerings. Zeus, of course, chose the best-looking heap. But when he discovered that he had been tricked, he grew very angry. Not only had Prometheus stolen the sacred fire and given it to men, he had also taught them to cheat the gods. He resolved to punish both Prometheus and his creations. Cast in unbreakable irons, Prometheus was chained to the top of the Caucasus Mountains. Every day, an eagle swooped out of the sky and ate his liver. At night, his immortal liver grew anew, but every day the eagle returned, and he had to suffer again. Thus was Prometheus punished. But Zeus found a more subtle way to punish the mortals. He sent to earth a beautiful but silly woman. Her name was Pandora. Tim and Caleb, it's good to be back together with you. It's been a few weeks since we've been able to sit down and record a podcast. So what's been going on? Where have you two been? Well, we've had a lot of sickness here at school. So I think I've subbed in almost every grade, which has been <laughs> an absolute joy and a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tim was subbing for my, my son one day. I remember coming home and he said, guess who my teacher was today? Um, it's uh, It's been crazy in upper school as well. Um, and, I, and I've also been out for a jury duty summons and a number of different things going on. So. And um, what's coming up in uh, the upper school? I think protocol's coming up. Yep. So we've got a couple of seniors with us today who will not be at school tomorrow because they'll be participating in protocol. Um, and all kinds of starting to plan for practicum in the spring with a number of different students. Theses are getting uh, serious and, and, and uh, for some students quite frightening at this point in the year. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff going on. Going to the state capitol next yep. week with seniors. Seniors going down to Columbus next week. Yep, on next Thursday. Yep. How about in grammar school? Any fun happenings? So we have regional speech week coming up. Um, so those who've scored a Cicero get to go on to the next level and we join another classical school to compete and see who the top winners are. And then we have class chapels coming up where each one of our grade level cha- our, our classes put on chapel, lead us in worship. So look forward to that. Oh, excellent. Where's the speech meet? It's going to be at Heritage Classical okay. over on the east side. Outstanding. Very good. Yeah. Well, uh, Caleb mentioned we are joined by a couple of seniors. Today we are going to talk about the myth of Prometheus and... Probably I should get into a little bit of Pandora as well, because the two stories are related. They are related. Um, but if the two of you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, so hearers can know who you are. Uh, uh, I am, my name is Jonathan Hindle. I've been in w, uh, WCA since kindergarten, and uh, well, my dad works here, so my brother's also been here, was also here since kindergarten, but he graduated just last year. Is now at Cedarville. And do you have a thesis title yet, or could you do a quick summation of what your thesis is? It's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm discussing the intricacies and secrets of our popular culture. Interesting. Okay. So that that's almost like a little spoiler. Almost. You're you're gonna have to come in here. Jonathan's thesis if you want more insight. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'll just have to come and see it. Oh, no. And uh, your dad's also been on the podcast, previous to you. 
So he has. He first has. father son. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. History. <laughs> we we have had mother daughter. <laughs> so we've already had that, but this is the first father son. So. So the next goal is father daughter or mother <laughs> sons. We, we'll figure that out. We'll figure that out. All right, Isabel. I'm Isabel Lash. I'm back again, but louder this time. <laughs> That's good. And my thesis is called Truth and Pagan Myths, uh, a bridge between Athens and Jerusalem. And the reason I really wanted to do this podcast is because the introduction to it is the myth of Prometheus and comparing like biblical parallels and the Jesus figure and Prometheus as a savior. So, well, maybe we, we just <coughs> let... You go and just do, <laughs> do your <laughs> thesis. <laughs> well, that that's a good segue though, because you're you're talking about how we can learn from myth and how um, they're connected uh, to truth, and and even we get insights into biblical story from these myths. So uh, that's a that's a good segue into our conversation. Prometheus. Uh, he is the figure that we're going to talk about today and, and talk about his myth. And I think it's probably important to say with a lot of these Greek myths, they there's not a consistent story, story throughout all of the sources. And so if you read Hesiod, you might get something a little bit different than if you read uh, Livy or something else. And so uh, we'll try to encompass all of the various aspects of the story but can someone summarize for me? Tim, man, I'm going to actually call on you. Just summarize for us the Prometheus myth. What, well, what goes on there? From what I understand, and after talking to a few third grade students, Prometheus, <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a good god. And mm. even though he steals, <laughs> but he's stealing for good purposes to help people, to help humans. Uh, to have fire, which they desperately need to survive. And there's an element of sacrifice. There's an element of um, looking out for others for the benefit of mankind, even though that he's, he's maybe breaking trust with Zeus here, um, so that mankind can thrive and live well. Uh, but in the end, sadly, he suffers this consequence of, of his liver being eaten, which is quite graphic to a third grader. But... <laughs> Uh, it is the sad story of it. I think there's some correlations that can be made um, to our God and what Christ did for us, which is a beautiful thing for even a young third grader to see and to understand. Awesome. And not only is his liver eaten, but it regrows every night so that the next day Scientific <laughs> it can be in <laughs> again. It's kind of like well, the starfish, right? It grows back. Before, <laughs> before we go there, I would just say... Uh, Tim mentioned third graders, and the text we all around this table have in front of us today actually is the version that our third graders read here. Um, being a classical school, we're integrating these original sources throughout the different years and the different levels of our school. And so our third graders are introduced to this. Um, we're using Delaire's Book of Greek Myths. There are pictures. It's colorful. The story's not that long. That's the one that we actually read at the beginning of this podcast. Um, and others of us have around the table some of the books that we use in upper school with, with much more detail in these myths. Um, so Dirk was mentioning there's different versions of these. Um, our students are engaging with them at different levels. This is appropriate for their age and stage at different levels as they mature as students yeah. as well. Yeah, very good. Outstanding. <clears throat> so Prometheus is a t- 
titan or kind of a minor titan. So the titans preceded the gods and uh, actually Zeus. Uh, we won't get into the Zeus story. It's fascinating. But uh, Zeus overthrew the titans. Uh, his father Kronos being the, the leader of the titans. Uh, but Prometheus fits in the titans. He's kind of a minor titan though. Yep. Uh, not one of the, the more important ones. But... He is tasked with creating, and uh, creating living beings in particular. So, Prometheus creates, uh, it's, it's important I think to say that when he creates, he doesn't create women, uh, and we'll get into that here in a little bit because that's an interesting part of the myth, but he creates, and how would you say his creation maybe is similar and differs from what we read in the Genesis account. Well, one thing about it is Prometheus, he, well, his brother, <clears throat> Afterthought, creates all the other creatures and he gives them things like fur and claws and fangs to protect them and so they have something. And because he's Afterthought, he doesn't think to give man anything. And so Prometheus is the one tasked with making man, and he gives him <clears throat> a few ways to be above the animals. He makes him upright, so he walks straight like the gods. So in the same way that God formed man in his image, Prometheus made gave man some head over the animals by making him somehow in an image like the Greek gods. So you mentioned real quick, Prometheus means forethought. And Epimetheus, his brother, means afterthought. So um, there was, with the creation of man, maybe not enough forethought. Uh, and so man was left somewhat defenseless. Uh, and so that's, that, that's related to the creation account. Jonathan, do you have anything you want to add there? I think it's interesting how, in both accounts, man is left last to be fully developed, but... In this case, man is afterthought treats man like a like an accident, and Prometheus is there to clean up his little accident. Yes. Rather than being very intentional like God does, he saves man for last as he is the most important part of creation. While in the Greek story, it's more like a oh we need to clean this up real quick or else we're gonna have problems. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you've either I mean you've got the little the young child who saves the part of dinner that they like the best, mm -hmm. right? And that's the Genesis account. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the little child at dinner who saves the, the part of dinner that they don't want to eat, mm -hmm. right? And that's the Greek account. Exactly. Um, so it's it's last in both, Greek, in both accounts, you're right, but in one account, it's because it's an intentional culmination of, of, of and glorification of this Imago Dei creature. Um, whereas in this account, uh, as you mentioned, there's there's graspings of the Imago Dei in this account, um, but it's more like oh let's let's um, compensate for what we did wrong <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. Right. the The Imago Dei in the Genesis account creates man as the pinnacle of creation in the fullness of God's design, but in the Greek account, uh, like you've said, it's an afterthought. And oops. We left these humans defenseless. Uh, they don't. They can't protect themselves. They don't have teeth and claws and all of those kinds of things. So, 
what does Prometheus do? He gives them fire. He gives them fire that he gets from... <laughs> from from where? Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets it from Zeus. Or from, yeah, from the heavens, right? But what's up with that, Jonathan, you were going to say? Oh, I was just trying to fill it in. Cause... Well, but I mean, is he given fire? No, he has to. So instead of requesting for the fulfillment of the human's necessities, he has to, he has to take it from the gods so that he can provide for them. And it's interesting because... He seems to be the only one who actually cares for the humans because at that point, because all of the other gods see this problem and Prometheus is the one who has to fix it. Just in their creation, Prometheus is the one who fixes the problem with the humans, which is part of his job. But then after that, they don't, they don't do anything. And the only reason why Zeus is pleased with the fire being given to the humans is because then there's op- uh, sacrifices offered to them. Yes, exactly. And so... Ah. It's only because their reward, he, uh, the humans give things to the gods, that the gods are fine with this case. And what's really hard for us as Christian readers of this myth to, to understand is that prior to that moment, for all the other gods except Prometheus, there really is no distinction between the humans and the animals. Mm-hmm. The, the, this is just a different looking critter, right? And until that critter starts offering things... There is nothing special about them, as far as the gods are concerned. Uh, which, for us, is such a such a strange way of thinking about that because we're so ingrained in this idea of God made humans particularly special. Right, and God gives of Himself for the benefit of His creation. Yes, and Zeus is the very opposite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, we'll get into Zeus's anger as it's related to worship. Because, as you said, Jonathan, Zeus is, okay, these people are worshiping, but what does Zeus want from them in, the, in these offerings? He wants the very best, right? So then, how does Prometheus once again come alongside uh, or, or come along to, to trick Zeus? What happens? Well, he then tells the humans to divide up the body parts of the animals into two different piles. One that hides all of the uh, less favorable parts of the animals, hidden behind the juiciest, the, the snow-white meat, and the other pile has the best stuff that's hidden behind the bones and the, and the stuff that, w- that can't even be used. And so he tricks... Zeus punishes... Seeing this, he chooses the pile with the best meats, or at least what he thinks has the best meats. And then once learning what's truly in the pile, he punishes both the humans and Prometheus. And he states that, the, that his punishments for the humans was because Prometheus had taught them how to trick the gods. And what is that punishment? That is the sending of Pandora. <laughs> so the, is another story entirely. Yes, <laughs> but, but the first woman that shows up yes. in this creation account uh, is given, and, and I think this reveals a lot about Greek thought and Greek culture and so forth. The first woman that arrives is Pandora, and she is sent by Zeus as punishment. Uh, and we've all probably heard of Pandora's box. It's actually a jar uh, in the actual translation. 
it's Pandora's jar, but this jar unleashes all sorts of evils upon of mankind. Right. Again, in the Genesis account, woman is created as a blessing, yep. as a full as a partner with man, right? As two that make a whole. Um, and there is a casting of a, a beautiful vision for that two making a whole living in the garden. In this account, woman comes as a bearer of evil and is is in the Genesis account the woman is tempted and falls. In this account the woman is the temptation which causes man to fall, right? Right. Um well, she also gets into it as, as well, I suppose, but she's designed for that purpose. Right, but the the punishment for sin, if you will, yes. um, is is based upon Zeus's fickleness. Yes. Um, it, it's it's not that he was actually sinned against. Yes. Um, it was just he didn't get what he wanted. Yes. <laughs> and he responds in anger uh, by punishing mankind with Pandora. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Go ahead. We're jumping ahead a little bit, but I want to, so Jonathan, you were talking about um, Zeus, or Prometheus tricking Zeus on two different occasions, stealing fire, um, and and deceiving him into selecting the less appetizing pile of meat, right? Um, As as what would then be the pattern of his sacrifices from then on. Um, So, how is that different from what we see Jesus doing? And particularly, what's the difference in the relationship between Prometheus and Zeus and Jesus and God the Father? Maybe you spell. Take that. Um, when I was reading it, Prometheus, he keeps talking. I read the Prometheus Bound play, and then the different people that come to him, Ocean, Hermes, he talks about how Zeus is his enemy, how he hates him, he said. And Zeus punishes him. He says, I loved men. Zeus didn't care for them. And he's the one that came and he punished me. And Prometheus' suffering just continued to go on and on. Whereas God sent his son out of love for the humans. And Jesus went because he also loved men. And the punishment, Jesus bore the wrath of God. But then he also rose again, conquered death. And whereas Prometheus, he was just on the bound to the mountain for years and years. Jesus defeated that, and then now he's seated at the right hand of God. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and if you think of in terms of sacrifice, so Prometheus is forced. I guess he's not forced to make a sacrifice. In, in a sense... Prometheus doesn't sacrifice himself at all. There right. is no sacrifice. Right. It's a trick. And, <laughs> and, it goes, and it goes on and on and on, right. but there's never redemption. And it wasn't intended to be redemptive. Uh, and so the the sacrifices in the Old Testament and, and obviously culminating in Christ bring reconciliation, restoration between man and God. And... For Zeus, he's just mad because he didn't get the good meat. Yes. Right? He, <laughs> yeah. he didn't get what he wants. So God gives of himself yes. for the benefit of his creation. Zeus, the creation, is a vehicle for him to get what he wants. Uh, and so you see these these profound differences. And I think, you know, we have third grade parents who ask us, 
why why are we reading this? You know, why are we studying <laughs> this guy stealing and then he gets his liver eaten by something and you know you have this punishment of this evil box. Um, and I think the answer is in these conversations like we're having right now, right? We we can make correlations to scripture and, and to theology and but as third graders, when you first came across stories like this and others, what were some of your takeaways at a young age? What, what were some of those conversations like when you were in the grammar school? Hmm. Or can you, can you remember <laughs> can we back that far? That's the real question. <laughs> I, I've, I've taught this as a third grader, or third grade teacher here. Not a third grader, as a third grade teacher. I was going to say, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I taught this book in third grade. Um, and so I, I remember spending really valuable time with students, um, enjoying a rollicking good story, um, and enjoying uh, just retelling the story, being fascinated with the characters that are coming, but then also stopping and saying, yeah, how is this different from what we know to be true? Um, how, does, how does this negative paint our positive so much more beautifully? Um, how does it help us to understand more fully the world that Jesus came to and how his, what his message of, of grace and, and goodness from the Father, how different that is from really the world that he entered into because the world that Jesus comes to, these are the gods that they're worshiping, right? Um, so maybe I'll turn that question around a little bit for you guys. That is, Tim and I can attest, that's a question we get pretty commonly from parents. Um, your Christian school, why do you read this? You know, um, how would you answer that? Well, if you want to hear a full 20-minute conversation <laughs> about it, you can come see my thesis. But one of the articles I read was uh, Church Father St. John Chrysostom, and he has a writing about um, bringing up children, and part of it is that we see types, that when the child hears the myth of the hero, that he will learn what that is, like the idea of hero, and then he sees it more fully yes. in Jesus. C.S. Lewis has an essay, Myth Made Fact, where he talks about like human minds think in abstractions, and so myths take those abstractions and make them into concrete things and like things we can see, physical things. And Jesus is a fulfillment of that. He's not just another like savior he's not just another prometheus who came down from heaven to save men he's more than that he is the ultimate savior that humans have an inclination that they um for the divine they know that they're fallen that they're sinners somehow deep within them and that they need a savior we see the hero myths and savior myths all throughout every culture and so when jesus came out he's the ultimate fulfillment of that for this desire that God instilled in every man like it says in Acts 17 that they might feel their way toward him and perhaps find him yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up C.S. Lewis because the whole idea of myth really connected to his conversion Yes, because he and J.R.R. Tolkien were good friends and, and he said to Tolkien something like well we have all of these myths of sacrifice and creation and flood and God's dying and coming back to life, and why should I see the biblical story as something else? And J.R.R. Tolkien called it the true myth, and pointing to the fact that we have these stories where there are so many similarities, 
because they draw from a common well. Uh, I believe the Genesis account that mankind was together and refusing to be separated and God sent them after the Tower of Babel throughout all the earth. And so there's this wellspring of stories that they took with them. And so it's no surprise that we get glimpses of the true biblical story, but over time they were corrupted. Yeah, St. Paul um, says that too. I mean, yeah. it's, you have it in, every human has it in their heart, right? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of answers to that question, right? I think myth made fact is one of them. And, and um, that, that idea that if we aren't training young people to understand the archetypes of man, one being the hero, then we have done them a great disservice. And, and the myths are what train you. What, what is a hero? What is a villain? Um, those, those things are things you have, you have to know, right? Yes, though. I just think, practically speaking, for our teachers, there's a lot of great shepherding moments yeah. mm-hmm. we can take from these stories. You take somebody like Prometheus, and there's a lesson of itself that's never right to do wrong in order to do right. Or Zeus, hey, what happens when you act in anger, you respond in anger? Or what's the result of using others for your own personal pride or your own gain, uh, using it to satisfy yourself? And so I think our teachers delight in drawing from some of these stories, whether it's good or it's evil, that we can take that and make practical application through Scripture. We also say another thing that I, that I say in our classes, and we talk about this pretty regularly, is when we're, when we're talking about the great conversation in Western literature, right, we are talking about an actual conversation. You, you can't go read Milton's Paradise Lost and understand it if you haven't read the Greek myths. It's not going to make any sense, <laughs> right? Because Milton's language is one that is shaped and formed by understanding this set of mythology, this common language, this common basis of stories that we then build on for all the rest of the culture that we live in. And, and um, the same thing's true for Shakespeare's plays. You can't understand Shakespeare's plays without understanding Greek mythology. Um, Etc. You were going to say something else. I was talking to Mrs. Acola about this. Basically, the great conversation is just men trying to answer the great ontological questions. You know, you start with Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. They say, like, why am I here? Is there a greater thing? Is there, there must be something more than man. What is the purpose of man? And then you see, we're reading Calvin's Institutes now, and Calvin, he's responding to Aristotle. He says Aristotle was wrong here, but he had this one thing that was true. And so he he expands on what Aristotle wrote, and then the church fathers after Calvin expand on what he wrote. And so it's just this great conversation of men trying to figure out what it is. And then Christians, we know that the truth is that we're here to worship God, that that's our purpose, here to glorify him. Yeah, and, and part of that great conversation is you hear someone's opinion or idea and you think, oh, well, what about how... And so it causes you to think and ruminate and, and, and dig and investigate and all of these things. And so these myths present us with ideas that become a spark yes. for, for something greater. I, I think, and I don't want to stretch this too far, but Prometheus, as we've talked about, an eagle comes every, I think every morning and eats his liver. Overnight, the liver grows back, and here comes the eagle. Eventually, Hercules 
and uh, Heracles. I remember we, he's Hercules in Greek and or, or Roman or the other way around. Hercules so Heracles comes and kills the eagle and frees Prometheus. Prometheus is saved by a god man. Yes. But then, interestingly enough, nothing happens to him after that. Right. He just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> We're done with him. <laughs> just, uh, nobody We're cares anymore. Yeah. That's not so uh, And, yeah, and so, again, it points game. to, you know, you talk about Heracles as as this hero. Um, and he is he's a demigod. He's a, he's a god-man. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, not exactly the same as Jesus, but it points us to this reality that we need the God-Man to save us. Yeah, which again, we're see. I think we're seeing an example of the great conversation even here. That to understand the full um, depth of this myth, we have to talk about other myths. Right? Yes, they, they yes. inform one another. Uh, we had this experience earlier this year, one that kind of sticks in my mind, is we were read our poet for the first semester was John Donne. And you read through a John Donne poem, and it's it's maybe three stanzas long. Um, but in that, he will have referenced both the Old and the New Testament. Um, he, he will have certainly integrated several psalms. He, there, uh, Greek mythology will show up in there. Shakespeare's going to show up in there. He's going to be referring back to several other poets previously, right? And so... Um, that piece of writing itself is not that long, but in order to have a nuanced and full understanding of it, he's actually assuming that you know all these other things that he's yeah. connecting to, um, because he's participating in that great conversation in the way that we want our students to be able to. I would say that <clears throat> the value of the great conversation has not been upheld in our culture which is why it's more important than ever to know all of these myths and stories because so many good pieces of literary work and plays and art pieces refer refer to those myths. But people nowadays don't know them or don't even try to th- try to study them because they just decide, oh, it's, it's too hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, when, once you've lost that, you've lost access to a lot. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not just that you've lost the myths. You, all that refers to the myths uh, becomes more difficult. difficult to understand. Significantly more difficult to yeah. understand. Yes. That's why we like a classical education. <laughs> That's a great good, good plug, plug and a great way to end. Yep. <laughs> no, thank well you all. Thank you all so much for, for being a part of this conversation. Uh, Isabel, Jonathan, thank you all. Uh, that's... It's a lot of pressure. I didn't want to say this at the beginning, but it's a lot of pressure uh, being students coming in on the, the podcast. So thank you all. It was well it was good to have you. Nice job. Well I'll be back next week. All right. And the same year. <laughs> no, you won't. No, I won't. <laughs> next week we're in Columbus. Oh, yeah. That's the right. week after that. All right. Thank you all. <laughs>